Good morning, Oikos Church. It is with great pleasure that I welcome you this morning. We are excited that you are here, ready to worship. And so as you prepare your hearts, we do have a time of meet and greet. This is our time where we stand up. We enjoy being together as family. And so we hope you take that opportunity in the next five minutes to stand up, meet and greet the people around you, take that time to share the love of Jesus that you have, and being full of joy for worship today. And so we've got about five minutes until worship begins. Please make sure that by the end of those five minutes that you have worked your way into your seats, that you have all your needs taken care of, and that your heart is ready to worship. And those conversations have ended. So we are glad that you are here at Oikos. You've got five minutes. Please watch the countdown on either side. Feel free to dance. And again, let's go ahead and stand up, meet and greet. Christ is trying to speak. Two minutes, 30 seconds left. Here we go. Close again.
How are you doing? All right. It's good to see everybody this morning. Uh, we begin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So as I was focusing on 
and meditating on today's message, um, I thought about how part of it talks about the woman who the Lord, uh, the prostitute, or um, where she's threatened to be stoned, and the Lord basically sets her free and says, go and sin no more. And so the words came to me, I wish I could say I thought of it myself, but I'm sure it was the Lord, and I'm sure it was written right in front of me, but perfect love, perfect love. And so what does perfect love mean? <clears throat> and especially in this case. So I went to 1 John 4, 16. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live love, live in love, live in God. And God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So perfect love for us is God. And God shows through us that we can trust in him, that he is love, and he is the reason we love others. So let us go ahead and rise and let us sing together. Tears may fall, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. Though my heart may fail, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. While there's breath in my lungs, I will praise you, Lord. In the dead of night, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. When the waters rise, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. While there's hope in this eye.
confess our sins to God, we are agreeing with God on the truth of his word. And do you agree that our God is a God of light, and in him there is no darkness at all? And if we say we have fellowship with him, and we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Yet if we have, if we walk in the light, and he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son cleanses us from all of our sin. Brothers and sisters of Christ, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we haven't sinned, we call God a liar, and the truth is not in us. So brothers and sisters in Christ, if we're in agreement that we've done things that we ought not have done, please say, Father, forgive us. If we're in agreement that we've spoken words that we ought not have spoken, please say, Jesus, forgive us. And if we have carried thoughts in our minds that we know we should not have carried, please say, Holy Spirit, forgive us. Good news, brothers and sisters. By God's promise, we are forgiven. By your agreement with the truth of his word, we are forgiven. So go in the freedom to live, to love, and to share with others the freedom that you know by the forgiveness of his son, by the precious sacrifice on the cross. Please know that you are forgiven. Let us rest in the Lord.
right, so you can tell spring break has begun. And our group looks a little smaller. But you know what? Jesus calls those little children. So let's go ahead, and those of you who are close, let's gather them really close. Okay, parents are up here real close. And let's go ahead, and everybody reach your hand out, because remember, we want to bless these kids. These kids need Jesus in their lives so that they can continue to disciple others. So, Lord, be with these kids. Continue to guide their parents. Continue to guide us as family who have these children in our midst. May they continue to be the light that brings joy into all hearts. Amen. Good morning. So my iPad did not update, and so the sermon is not on my iPad, it's on my phone. And so I have to speak to my phone this morning. But that's what God does, because God is good. Um, and he's always throwing in wrenches to keep us having faith. Um, thankful that everybody's here. You guys braved the spring forward monster, you know. <laughs> um, uh, 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 the I'm preaching... Um, I don't preach, I'm preaching now, but I teach some Chinese kids uh, as a part-time tutoring opportunity and explaining to them why I have to move forward to, to teach them is, was very interesting. You know, like China doesn't have a, have a spring forward or fallback scenario, so, um, but we got through it. So basically today there is going to be a sermon and a video, and so without further ado, the video will be played right now. It was time for a festival in Jerusalem. Halfway through the festival, Jesus went to the temple and started teaching the crowd. Everyone was amazed by what he had to say. The religious leaders sent guards to get him. They went, but they weren't able to grab him because it wasn't time for him to die. Soon, the guards were spellbound by his teaching. They finally returned to the religious leaders. The religious leaders said, Where is he? Why didn't you bring him? The guard said, We've never heard anyone talk like this man. The next morning, Jesus was once again teaching in the temple. The religious leaders went to the, him with the woman they had caught in immorality. They thought they could use her to trap Jesus and to get evidence against him. They said, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says we should stone her. But we want you to tell us what we should do. He acted like he didn't hear them. He stooped down and used his finger to write in the dust. They didn't allow him to ignore them. 
They kept asking him about this situation. Finally, he stood up and faced them. Go ahead and stone her, but have the one without sin throw the first stone. He stooped down and started writing in the ground again. The men stood there without saying anything. Finally, they started leaving one by one, starting with the older man. Then Jesus stood up and looked around. He and the woman were the only ones standing in the middle of the crowd. He said to her, Woman, where are those that are accusing you? Didn't they come to condemn you to death? She said, No, they didn't, Lord. He said, Well, I won't condemn you to death either. Go and sin no more. He then turned to the crowd and said, I am the light of the world. Those who follow me will never walk in darkness because they'll have the light of life. Amen, right? Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for another morning. Thank you for your message of forgiveness, which is unreasonable. We don't quite understand it. We don't quite uh, grasp the breath of your love. Thank you for your perfect justice as well. Lord, we praise you that every day, no matter what day it is, that you are a God of grace and love and perfect justice. May we hear what you have to say to us today, and may we leave today even more encouraged than we return. In Jesus' name, other than we began. In Jesus' name, amen. So we all know that story. Who doesn't know the story of the woman almost stoned by the Pharisees? Who has not heard that before? Okay, so we all kind of know it. It's a famous story. It's a story that I think can be overly preached in terms of grace without any form of judgment or justice that God requires. I've, I've heard the story preached where it's just the, the sermon preaches and cuts out, just go, but not the go and sin no more part, which is in the scriptures, which I don't know the video shared that. But I've heard that a lot of times is just the grace of God is so good that just, there's just grace. There is no requirement. There is no justice. There is no law. And that God doesn't perfectly redeem that law with his love. Um, and so the story is very popular, and it's used a lot to comfort us. But there's more to this story. And actually, the story of the woman being dragged in front of uh, the crowds and before Jesus, I think, when you read John 7 and the beginning of 8, is the climax of what John is trying to say in this biggest story. Because the biggest story that I believe John is trying to say is the story of fighting our human reason and fighting our emotions to embrace faith. Fighting the need to have things make sense. Fighting the need to have everything work out. Or fighting the, the desire to feel God in everything you do. To feel God every second of every moment of every day. And if you don't feel God, then God's not there. Just like if you don't understand God, then God's not there. Fighting those temptations as humans, as, as finite as we are, by still believing in God, no matter if we don't understand him, and no matter if we can't feel 
him. Just yesterday, I was watching an episode of um, Masters of None. Anybody seen that show on Netflix? Alyssa has because I watch it, and so she has to watch it with me. But the show is very well done. It's kind of like a millennial dream, <laughs> honestly. If you're a millennial, you're like, oh, I just love this show. Uh, the person travels and does all these things, and everything just kind of like an emotional experience. Um, and one that I saw last night was basically all of that wrapped in one. It was this feeling of being in love and being captured by love to the point where you lose your sense of reality. And this character is basically in love with someone that's going to get married, and he can't reconcile that. The truth is right in front of his face, but he just simply can't deal with it. And it's a good story of reality. You gotta, you gotta let logic, you gotta let the truth set you free. So John is saying the same thing. Here's why I think so. You see, in John chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, he mentions the festival of shelters. That's what it says. John chapter 1, verse 7, verse 1 and 2. Sorry. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea, where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. So why would Jesus um, be talking about or be thinking about festival of shelters? And why would John, the writer, mention this? Everything that the writers write, just so you know, is very important. They didn't have text messaging and and easy to, to draft documents. They had papyrus, which is this old form, this old material, and they, they used, I don't know, ink from some kind, of, some kind of substance and some kind of quill. But it was really hard to write. And so him spending time writing the context of Festival of Shelters, John is trying to set the story of what this is. So what is the Festival of Shelters? Well, in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 41, Moses writes down the requirements of the Festival of Shelters. Here's what he says. Celebrate it for seven days. This regulation is to keep you, keep, is to be kept by your descendants for all time to come. All the people of Israel shall live in shelters for seven days, so that your descendants may know that the Lord made the people of Israel live in simple shelters when he led them out of Egypt. He is the Lord, your God. So why would John mention the festival? John is trying to communicate that this is a story. Before we get to the woman, possibly stone, that this festival, that this, his whole story writing in John 7 is about humility. It's about trusting in God in spite of what we think or how we feel. And so he mentions this festival, and he mentions that it's happening, and he mentions that Jesus uh, soon is going to be asked to go to tell us, the reader, that this is a festival calling humanity, calling Israel to be humble. Sounds fun, right? A festival of humility, a festival to remind us of a place where God provided. So when Israel was going through the desert for 40 years, 
we need to be thinking about and imagine that God provided for them. That there was many opportunities and many temptations for them to think of another logical way to get out of the desert. There was many opportunities for them to be angry and complain. And we know that they did, right? If you read the story in Deuteronomy and Exodus, Israel complained a lot. But in spite of all of this, God provided. He provided manna. He provided quail. He provided protection from disease. Um, He provided shelter. And so Moses wanted Israel to know that regardless of what they get, regardless of what they earn through his grace, what they, what they get from, from God through the promised land, he wants to keep them humble, that God provided. And so this festival was basically that. But the story goes on in John chapter 7, verse 3 through 5. So, and Jesus, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave here and go to, to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can't, if you can go such wonderful, wonderful things, if you can do, sorry, you can do such wonderful things. Show yourself to the world, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. So setting in this story, in this context of, of humility and remembering that God provides, we see this counter story of pride and selfish ambition, and seeking worldliness. We see the disciples say, hey man, you're pretty awesome. Others need to see how awesome you are, because we want to be awesome too, and since we're following you, we'll be awesome. So don't hide here in Galilee. Go to the festival so people can see you. Pride, godless human reason, Selfish ambition were the disciples' motives for going to the festival. But Jesus, his motives were not that way. He had a motive of humility. He had a motive of faith. I think this is really hard to to, to gather. But in verse 6, we see what he says. Jesus replied, now is not the right time for me to go. But you can go anytime. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. You you go on. I'm not going to the festival because my time has not yet come. After saying these things, Jesus remained in Galilee. John is so good of making us the reader a part of the story here of conflict between human feelings and desires and God's will. How many of, of us would want to go to a festival where we could do awesome miracles? Yeah, right? I mean, how many of us would, try, would say that I'm not going and you'd hide away in a small town? I don't know how small, but probably really small. <laughs> Jonathan said, I'm going to hide away. I'm going <laughs> to... Like up there, he's hiding right now behind the slides. Thank you, Jonathan. I think it's really difficult to do what Jesus said he is going to do. I mean, we live in a time when, I mean, 
I can't imagine going to the festival and having, you know, Facebook live cast going and, just <laughs> and casting to everybody what's happening, right? That's kind of the culture that we live in. That's kind of the people that just humans are. We want to be loved and to know that we're special. We want to feel special. But Jesus said in John 6, now is not the right time for me to go. How does he know it wasn't the right time? Was it because he was relying on what seemed logical? Or was it because he was relying on his emotions? Or was it because he was relying on God? He was choosing to follow God in faith instead of deciding to go by what feels right or what, or what, what seems right. The story continues, though, and there's more tension to the story. John chapter 7, verse 10. But after his brothers left for the festival, Jesus also went. Oh, sneaky Jesus. Though secretly, staying out of public view. Okay, so when I first read this, I was thinking, okay, so Jesus just lied there? <laughs> Wait, Jesus can't lie? He's Jesus, right? He's God. He's perfect. You know, he died for my sins, so he has to be perfect so that my sin can totally be on him. So if he just lied, then he's not perfect anymore. And so my sin isn't forgiven. That's how my mind thinks. Anybody think that way too? <laughs> so this can't work. He can't lie. Wait a minute. I'm using human reason again, right? I'm using my logic. My logic. I'm not using faith. Well, guess what? God can't lie. Numbers 23, verse 19 says, God is not like people. Good. Who lie? He is not a human who changes his mind. Whatever he promises, he does. He speaks, and it is done. Faith would say, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus. Uh, Jesus has a plan, and I know it is good because God is good after reading that verse. So if God doesn't lie and he does what he says, then I have to believe in faith that what Jesus is going to do is good. I have to believe that Jesus' intentions are good, and I don't understand it, why he's going to go in secret. John tells us a little bit more why. In verse, chapters, in verse 11, he says, The Jewish leaders tried to find him at the festival and kept asking if anyone had seen him. There was a lot of grumbling about him among the, the crowds. Some argued, he's a good man. But others said, others said he's nothing but a fraud who deceives the people. But no one had the courage to speak favorably about him in public, for they were afraid of, see, of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. So there's more to the story. Jesus knew that the Pharisees were looking, looking for him. And he had a plan. He wanted to, he wanted to do more than just get caught immediately. <laughs> there was an opportunity. It was an opportunity to share the gospel. You see, God always knows more than us. 
And he invites us into faith and rebirth every time. Also, we see here that relying on the mind or the heart makes the crowds confused about Jesus. So we see in these passages that they really don't know who Jesus is. They really don't understand what to feel about Jesus, what to think about Jesus. They're confused. Some call him a fraud. Some call him the Messiah. What they feel and what they think is clouding them. And it's making them argue amongst each other. And the same is true about the, about the disciples and the same is true about the Pharisees. But through it all in all, Jesus is doing something that we have to believe in faith. So I have a story. Um, about a few weeks ago, very, actually about a week ago, our car, we have two cars. One is a Golf GTI, which is an amazing car. And the other is a Volkswagen, I'm sorry, Sing golf. Well, there is a Toyota Prius, a 2000 Toyota Prius, has about 260,000 miles on it, give or take. It's old, right? And it, it's had some car troubles. It's uh, the catalytic converter is going bad, which is a lot of money, right? Like over $1,000. Also, the air conditioning is going out. Now, this is my wife's car. And it's March, almost April. So another month or so, it's going to be getting hot. And I got a decision to make here. Am I going to be a selfish husband and have her drive her car? Or am I going to switch cars with her, have her drive my car, or the other car? Because both it's our cars, right? We're married. Our car, which is the other car. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor. Because it has AC in it. So I can be hot. So this is, the, this is the tension that God is doing. This is the story that God's done in our lives. And I, because of my human reasoning, my wife's human reasoning, we don't know as much as God does. And our emotions are saying, this stinks. Because we, we went to get a diagnostic, and it's going to cost at least $3,000 to fix this stuff. Now, mind you, the car is old. <laughs> All right? And we're already thinking in our human logic, we're already we're already dreaming about a new car, right? We're foreseeing the new car. We're foreseeing the, I guess make the analogy, we're foreseeing the glory at the festival, you know? A new Toyota Prius or something else. And then this happens. So we're thinking, God, we just want this car to get through the year. But we can't even get there because we need inspections to get done. And a bad converter won't pass an inspection. But God did something, because God always knows more than we know. God always sees more than we see, and he calls us to faith and to rebirth. So basically, through a story of trusting God and his direction, we bought a coder that you use to, to read the codes on your car, the same one you can get at AutoZone or O'Reilly's, both they can give both, you know, commercialization that they, you go to them and, and they do for you, we bought it. Guess how much it costs? 15 bucks on Amazon. Just $15. We bought it, read the codes, erased the codes. 
past inspection. <laughs> now, the rule follower in you is thinking, oh, this is wrong, right? We did it. The truth is the catalytic converter wasn't faulty. It was just not working as optimal. And the mechanic said that, well, actually, your car is totally healthy. We just, if the code doesn't go away, then we can't pass inspection. But actually, your car is fine. So we just, we just made the codes go away. <laughs> also, through our brother Jason, who's not here, he's in Kansas City with uh, some of the other band, pray for them. I voiced our, our need to have the AC work, and he had an extra canister of refrigerant and a way to siphon it uh, into our car through a siphoner that he got from Victor Arias. And so because of that, he put refrigerant in our car, and it's still working. So what could have cost $3,000 if we just went with human logic and freaked out with human emotion cost about 50 bucks. Pretty cool, right? God provides. So in this story, where is God providing at the festival? You see, I think it's very metaphorical here what John is doing. John is an amazing writer. While the festival's happening, God's already there. He's there in secret, though. I see it as such a beautiful metaphor of life. That in the midst of what we are struggling to understand or what we're struggling to feel, God's already present. God's already there. We just got to believe and then we'll see him. We just got to choose to believe God. And then he will show us. And at times we'll, we'll feel these cool feelings, but he will show us that he's there. And that's what he did in John 7, verse 14 to 15, and verse 37. Then midway through the festival, so halfway through, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. The people were surprised when they heard him. How does he know so much when he hasn't been trained, they, they asked. So he just pops right on up at, at the temple. Halfway through, you know, he had a plan the whole time. Verse 37. So a few days later, on the last day, at the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. So it seems that Jesus knew the Pharisees were going to be there and that he had a, a great plan. He said, you know, I want to reveal myself to the people. So I got these guys that are, gonna, that are hating on me, and they're going to try to mess me up. So I'm going to go in secret and go to the temple first and preach to those who may be looking for me, maybe the religious types who maybe are reading scriptures and are looking forward to seeing the Messiah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach to them first because I probably won't get there <laughs> if I just walk them up with my entourage day one. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that first. And then at the end, I'm going to stand up and just and just blast everybody with the message. So Jesus didn't lie. He's not deceptive. But if you see the story at the beginning, you can get so caught up on, 
on what he's doing without trusting in the character of Jesus. He has a bigger plan here, a bigger plan to reveal the gospel, to reveal his message to as many as possible. That Satan, working through the acts of the Pharisees and of unwanting people, will try and enthrall God always has a bigger plan than our limited human hearts and minds can see. Thankfully, we get that perspective through John. We get kind of a God perspective. We get to see the whole story in one. But in real life, that's not how it is, right? In real life, it's not that way. In real life, we have to walk 40 years in a desert that only needs to be walked in two and a half weeks. <laughs> in real life, we complain the whole time about it because it doesn't make sense. And we don't see that God is preparing us for something greater. And that we weren't ready. Israel wasn't ready for the blessing in two and a half weeks. That they needed 40 years. In real life, God calls us when things don't make sense to trust him in faith. God calls us that when things don't feel right, to embrace him with our fears. To experience him and have rebirth. But this is not what the crowds felt. And so for them, in verse 43, it says, so the crowds, the crowd was divided about him. They were divided. Where have your desires to feel God's presence or to make God make sense left you divided inside? It's like, God, that, that just, Jesus doesn't make sense. This is a, it's a religion, and, and we're living in a time of science. I'm divided. Or, or God, I don't feel you right now. I'm depressed or I'm, I'm frustrated. I need to feel something. I need to feel something. So I'm going to go to this place I shouldn't go or, or call this person I shouldn't call. Or rekindle this old relationship that should be long dead. I can't feel you right now, God. So I'm divided. That's the crowds. Those were the crowds. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that, Jesus was already there, preaching to them, proclaiming who he was, revealing his miracles, asking them to believe, to experience rebirth. Where has God, where has your desire to feel God's presence or to make God make sense left you divided enough to have faith? You see, I've seen this several times with friends that I know who need to make God make sense. And we'll talk and we'll meet, we'll have coffee, we'll have lunch, we'll have a late night conversation. And it's like, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And we'll discuss it, but you know what we'll do? You know what we'll do? It will bring them all back around again to this place called faith every time. Maybe a talk will get them a little bit more around the curve to faith. But every time, no matter how you feel, what you think, God will bring you back around again to where he will say, trust me. No more answers. I got no more for you. 
You just got to trust me. Like Israel for 40 years. You just got to trust me, guys. So now what God does is say, if you trust me, you'll see my perfect love. You'll see my perfect justice. And so you'll see my perfect grace. It's better than what you think, and it's better than what you can feel. You'll see it work. And finally, John tells us the story of the woman thrown out in front of the crowds. So here's the crescendo or the climax here. If we embrace that God's perfect and his justice and his grace, here's the story. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. And a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Just threw her up there. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was, was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to Stoner, what do you say? Now, first of all, if she's committing adultery, I think it takes two people, right? <laughs> so if she's caught in the act, then where was the other person, right? Maybe the Pharisees just kind of contrived it all, paid some money, and then, and then dragged them in front. That's how dirty, how dirty the world is. Regardless of it, she's put before them. Now, what would, we, what would we do if we were Jesus? You're preaching, and here's this uh, woman caught in adultery, this prostitute, this whore, wherever you want to labor her last, she's in front of you. Her nakedness, her sin is right in front of your face, uncovered. I mean, how would you feel if you were her? Right? Think of something, think of yourself in the most compromising, ridiculous embarrassing moment of your life. You're caught with your pants down. And then the doors just fly open and everybody's watching you. Who's had nightmares like that? <laughs> I've had nightmares like that. I'm walking around and I'm just like, literally, I'm, I, I'm walking naked through, through like neighborhoods and like people are watching me. It's weird. Like, what's going on? It's got to be a dream. Well, that's a reality for this woman. You probably want nothing but grace, right? You're probably like, get me out of here. This really is a nightmare. Logic, though, for following rules would say, stone that woman. Because she's caught in act of adultery. And it says here in this, in this book that Moses wrote, in this chapter, you should do this. So just do it. Logic. It's clear, it's clean, order, messes are cleaned up, back to our society again. Let's keep rolling. Emotion would say, oh my gosh, this is disgusting. Look at, look at her, she's an adulterer. That's not me, stoner. I don't know the law of Moses, but hey, that's not who I am. So, stoner. Get her out of here. You know, when I think of how I act on social media, 
It's like that all the time. And you guys feel that way? How many of you guys hold stones when you're engaged in social media? Well, I do. I'm the only one. Thanks, Frank. Goodness. Frank bailed me out. Goodness. If someone posts something and doesn't agree with my worldview, I'm holding that stone, man. I'm like, man, I'm going to hold that stone. I'm going to post something. I'm going to tell, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do an angry face. Not a light, but I'm going to do an angry face. You know, or I'm going to post, I'm going to text them, say, hey, I'm offended. <laughs> I'm offended at what you, of this post. I'm going to, I'm going to throw that stone, man. Anybody? That's me. Thank you. Jesus is saying, drop that stone. He's saying drop it. Because, as M.O.K. said, violence begets more violence. And it actually does. I've engaged in a lot of conversations on social media, and some of them, I embarrassingly tell you, they go on for, like, days. Like, I thought I proved my point. I threw that stone and knocked him out. And then all of a sudden, like a day later, at like 10.30 at night, I get a reply on Facebook, notification. He's back with another argument. I'm like, oh, I thought this was dead. It goes on and on and on until I just ignore it. You see, what Jesus is saying is, is that perfect law would say stone. Emotion would say stone. But I would say, go and sin no more. He didn't, say, he didn't say go. He said, go and sin no more. It's both. The only person that has the true, the true requirement or the true eligibility to stone that woman to death said, go and sin no more. He still requires her to live the way she was intended to live as a child of God. But he knows that she's also a child of God. So he gives her grace. How can we live that way? How can we live that way? That's what John is asking us to do in the story. He said, be humble. Remember your humility. Remember how I provided for you when you were a slave and when you were lost in sin and when you were in need and when you needed God. I provided for you shelters and more. Remember that. And so before someone else, you show the love that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, showed you. That's the gospel. And that's the stuff that brings people to the table. That's the stuff that brings them to want more. It brings them hungry. Not throwing stones, but showing them a love that honestly I'll never get and I'll never fully feel. It's a beautiful mystery. It's the love of Jesus. So we get to experience this mysterious love today. We're going to have a baptism following this sermon. Titus 
3, 4, and 5 says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. It's, baptism is drenched all through that verse. It's a mystery. We don't understand it. Babies or old people, we don't get it. But it's the love of God. It's the perfect love of God. And we get to experience that today and celebrate. So may we celebrate with God his majestic and loving, gracious love that surpasses our understanding and our ability to feel at all times, knowing that he's always there, that in the midst of our doings, he's present. He's present. He will reveal himself. May we see him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your beautiful, powerful plan. We thank you, Lord, that in the midst of our doings and our goings, when we don't quite understand you or we can't feel you with our emotions, you're present. You're there. You've been there a whole half a week. You'll be, you'll be there a whole week, and some of us still don't get you. We still won't see you. Lord, when you give us the eyes to see and ears to hear, may we see you through the things you give us, through your word, through prayer, through communion and gathering together, and through a baptism. May we see how you already are present, and may we embrace you with faith, with faith, knowing that that will give us full sight. You are amazing, God, and we give you praise for your perfect love and perfect justice, Lord Jesus. Amen. We're going to do a baptism today. Pastor Lytle is going to come up and basically conduct the baptism. And uh, without further ado, we'll just go through with that. Why don't we gather as a family around the font? Uh, we got it right in the center. Trayvon. We get a privilege to have you experience rebirth today. Here he comes. The way we do baptisms here is we invite people to come close. The kids should be coming back in from CNK real soon because we like them to participate as well. So I get a little chance as we kind of wait for them to come in to just talk to us about baptism and the promises there. There's a few things you're going to get to receive, Trayvon. One is you're going to receive a napkin, and that's going to wipe your head because it's going to get a little bit wet. And another one is a candle, and we're going to light this candle when we baptize you because in your baptism, in your rebirth, Jesus speaks to you, and he says, as I was the light of the world, now you are a light of the world too. And that means you get to show his love and you get to show God's promises. And no matter where you are at, just as Howard preached this morning, he's present. He's with you. He's by your side. He doesn't leave your side. He's always with you. No matter what anyone says, no matter who's against you, Jesus is always for you. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So as a community, as a family of faith,
I've got a few questions for all of us to, to answer. Do we believe in Jesus Christ, the one who died and rose again to save us from our sin? If we do, say yes. Awesome. Do you believe in God the Father, the one who did everything and continues to be with us and call us into his family every day? If we do, say yes. yes. And do we believe in the Holy Spirit, the one who is here today, who will wash you, Trayvon, and will be in your heart for the rest of your days? Do we believe in the Holy Spirit? Yes. All right, Trayvon, you ready? Yes? Okay. So you're just tall enough. Aren't you excited? So we're going to say a prayer, and then what I'm going to have you do is you're going to lean right over. It's just like this, okay? You think you can do that? Awesome. So let's pray. First, I'm going to mark you with the sign of the cross upon your forehead, upon your heart, to mark you as one redeemed by Jesus. He loves you, and he'll never leave you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we thank you so much. The Trayvon and his family are here today that he's heard your word. And Lord, we know that all of us, we hear your word and sometimes we don't know how to repeat it or how to say it. But the miracle is, is that you claim us and you, you grow in our heart. You invite us closer to your family and you're with us. And because you're with us, you stay with us. And because you're with us, people see you. And because of that, they receive hope. So our prayer for Trayvon, as he grows into a man of God, that he will walk with you for the rest of his days, that he will not forget you. And even in the times that he forgets, or maybe turns, that he'll hear that whisper of his father calling him back home. And in repentance and in rebirth, he will come back to you and remember that his identity is your son. Lord, we pray that you keep him safe. We pray that you grow him up to be a man of faith. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would bless him with a family and children and many who he can speak your word into so that generation after generation would come to know you and love you simply because you have claimed Trayvon today. In your name we pray, amen. amen. Awesome, Trayvon. You all ready? All right, so just lean right in right here because this is going really fast. You're good, you're good. All right, Trayvon, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's right. You got them all wet, didn't you? This is full baptism. Here we go. Trayvon, you get to receive this. You can hold on to this. When you're an old man, you're going to look at that and remember. You also receive a certificate. This is to remember this day as well. And what we do in baptisms is that we want to make sure that we celebrate them. Because just like we celebrate our birthdays, so Trayvon, you really want to listen to this one. Just like we celebrate our birthdays, you got to remind your mama that on this day 11, thank you. I almost moved to March 18th. <laughs> I knew it was a Sunday. March 11th is your day, your baptism day. So you get to remind your mama, we're going to celebrate this day. It's March 11th. And that might mean that she gets you a little gift. <laughs> right? 
you can tell your family, it's my baptism birthday. <laughs> and they can get you things like a devotion or a Bible or something that reminds you about how much God loves you. Or maybe it's just a meal together where you pray and give thanks. But what we do in our family is we light our baptismal candle. So you can blow this out. Go ahead. Blow. There you go. Next year at this time, you make sure you light this. And you guys sing a song, and what we do is we do, and let's just do that right now. So we normally do happy birthday to you, right? Well, we change that a little bit. Hey, God's blessings to you. God's blessings to you. God's blessings, dear Trayvon. God's blessings to you. So that is what I would love for your family to do next year at this time. But remember our baptism every day. Because every day God says, just like he said to the woman, go and sin no more. He says to us, go try again. Try again. And he's going to say that for the rest of your days, Trayvon. And we're so glad you're here. So let's welcome Trayvon into the family of God. <laughs> there is an ancient practice. We're a small group this morning that we do here at Oikos, but it's a practice that the church has done for millennia. You simply dip your finger into the water. You mark yourself with the cross on your forehead, on your heart, just like I did to Trayvon earlier. If you're not baptized, that's okay. If you would like to be baptized, I'd love to talk to you after worship. Just come and find me and I'd love to talk to you about the promises that were given to Trayvon this morning. But you do this simply to remember that the Lord has put his name upon you. as, And those promises are for you today, tomorrow, and until he comes again. And so as we mark ourselves with the water, may we remember that we have a God who is powerful, loving, and never forgetting. And he has asked us to be a part of his family too. So let's take this time to remember our baptism. Prepare ourselves to be baptized. Oh God. 
eyes with me. We are thankful for your beautiful gifts. We are thankful you give life. You put your name on us. You call us and you say, your sin is gone. You are forgiven. You are set free. My name is upon you. In Jesus Christ, you are free. In Jesus Christ, you will love. In Jesus Christ, go. We are thankful, Lord. We are thankful. Thank you for freedom. We celebrate by praying the prayer that your son has taught us. Our Father.
As we close in worship today, um, just a few announcements. Here at Oikos, we do not pass a plate for offering, but giving to the Lord is an act of worship. It's saying to the Lord, I trust you with everything. And so as we give here at Oikos, you can give either physically in the space. There's a brown box right over here on the side of our worship center. You can give online at give.theoikos.org. Or you can text message to give 84321. There's a voters meeting coming up on March 18th. We're going to go ahead right after worship. Our covenant family is going to be voting on two board positions. Remember, we were accepting nominations, and so now we're ready to really put those into place. So we hope that you make space in your day after worship to join us for that. Um, I'm going to invite Bill to time me. So Bill's going to come up because after worship, come on all the way up here. Um, after worship on March 18th, we are going to have that voters uh, meeting, but you have an also an opportunity to celebrate and share a meal as a family, and Bill's going to talk a little bit about that. I don't know if any of you heard about a couple weeks ago on a Saturday night, there was a shooting in the Heights. A friend of mine, a student that I taught years ago, was killed. Um, his grandma goes to my other church, church at Northside, and she's in charge of providing for the funeral. She's got some money raised, but she needs to raise about $3,000 more to bury him. So we're going to have a barbecue. Uh, by the way, it's going to be uh, leg quarter for $10 a plate. If you want to donate extra, that's great, too. Um, keep Miss Shirley Durden in your prayers, and I hope you like chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the guy who's cooking it has done barbecues from really good. So if you don't like it, I get to eat it all. <laughs> I hope you come. It's tomorrow. We're going to serve. 
tomorrow from 11 o'clock till, oh, not tomorrow, next Sunday, I'm sorry. <laughs> next Sunday from 11 o'clock to 1.30, right in front of the gym. So come and get a to-go box and thank you. Thanks, Bill. Um, stay here for a minute. We're going to pray for Shirley. And he's got flyers. All right, so let's go ahead and let's pray for her. Dear Heavenly Father, we just, uh, family Lord, loss is hard. And it uh, provides trials. But we know that there is peace and comfort. That her grandson is restored, Lord, that he is in heaven with you. So, Lord, I give thanks for Bill, that he has been a part of this family's life. And that he continues to encourage support them in many ways. And so may we as a church embrace this family too with love. May we share that peace that surpasses all understanding. Knowing that, Lord, we have hope that one day we will be at home too with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so next Sunday, before you go to the voters meeting, grab some food, make a donation, and then come back in here so that way we can go ahead and continue to pray and ask the Lord to guide us as a church as we continue to move forward and just breaking into the city of Houston. March 25th is Palm Sunday at 10 a.m. We're going to go ahead and have a leader for Bishop Hopper. Um, they're friends of Jason and Ashley, and so they're going to be leading us in worship that day. So again, we hope that you can be a part of that with us at that time. Um, we're going to have an evening Lenten concert also that same evening on March, oh, I'm sorry, not the same evening, Thursday, March 29th at 7 p.m. with our 6.30 p.m. Remember, it's free. Invite others. And I have been really impressed that even after our missional community that was last week, many of us took on that call and that, that desire to just see what does the Lord do in us through art. And so we are so thankful that the Lord blessed us with so many people to represent, reflect, restore, and repent. As we continue on with that Lenten journey, we've got Good Friday worship March 30th at 7 p.m., and then we celebrate with our Easter worship on April 1st at 10 a.m. After worship, you are invited over to Sylvia and Nelson. We're going to do our Covenant Family MC. It will not be at the Lytle House. It will be at the Schmidt House. We're going to have lunch together. We're going to have an Easter egg hunt. And we'll do all of that after worship. So we pray that you can join us that day. So at this time, let's leave with a blessing. Our kids did some incredible work. We did some urban street art. Okay messy. Life is messy. So as we live in that mess, know that Jesus loves us, that he covers us with joy, with hope, with restoration. And may we experience that peace today and go help others feel that same joy in their mess. Such a tiny 